thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. We are continuing our series called Great Lessons from the Lesser Known. This is actually the end of the series. Next week is Father's Day, and Pastor George is bringing a message to you men and fathers. All the men and fathers say, yep. Come on. Say, yep. Yeah, see, manly. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's going to be a great weekend next weekend, but we're continuing this weekend looking at great lessons from the lesser known. And so what we have done, we looked at these Old Testament characters, men or women, and we've seen that God has done something amazing in their life. And we look at that and we want to see how can we take a lesson from what they have done and apply it to our lives. And when you look at the characters of the Old Testament, when you look at the characters of the Bible, whether it was 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, the reality is this, the word and the principles and the truth of God's word still speaks today. So if God is the same yesterday, listen, I'm going to need some feedback today, guys. I'm, I, that's right. So if God is the same So when we read the scriptures, if God did it then with them, he can do it now with you, right? Don't you agree with that? And so that's what we've been doing. What lessons can we learn from some of these lesser known, maybe people, lesser known situations, and how do we apply that to our lives today? Because God is still wanting to take people and use them and do something significant in our lives and in other people's lives. You know, what we have in the stories in the Bible, they're not there by accident. They're not there just this happenstance like, oh, let's write a story about this guy. Actually, they were put there for a reason. And the Apostle Paul even talks about what that reason is in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Just so we can understand why, we're, why we even did this series is this. These things <clears throat> happen to them as examples for us. So when we look at these, these things that happen to people and how they live their lives, they are examples for us today. They were written down to warn us or to teach us who live and the end of the age, and that's you and I. And so when we read them, they're always relevant. They always speak to us. And so we are going to look at a man named Elisha. Everyone say Elisha. That was like a karate chop there. I heard that one. Elisha. Okay. <clears throat> We're looking at Elisha, but most people think, you know, Elisha was, was the one. Yeah, I know Elisha. He was the one on top of the mountaintop, and he called down fire from heaven, and he wiped out the 450 prophets and licked the water and burnt the sacrifice. But actually, that was Elijah. And we're going to be looking at Elisha today. So listen, I'm going to be referring to Elijah and Elisha a lot. I wish, I really wish. God would have named one of them Bob. It would have been a lot easier today. But you're just going to have to hang with me for a little bit. Also, a little side note. Do you ever get Elijah and Elisha confused? And like, which one was who or where were they? Okay, here's, here's a little trick. You ready for this? Elijah, the J, comes first in the alphabet, then Elisha, the S. So you know Elijah came first and Elisha came second. Amen. All right, let's pray and in the service today. God, thank you so much. Just kidding. So we're going to be looking at Elisha, and uh, we want to see what lessons we can learn from him. 
And actually, what's really interesting about Elisha is that he carried on the ministry of Elijah. He carried it on after Elijah was gone. And this is an incredible story of how Elisha ends up doing twice as many miracles as Elijah did. Twice as many. Elijah was the man. He was the prophet of all prophets. He was, he was revered all within the nation of Israel and outside the nation of Israel. But Elisha ends up doing twice as many miracles. And so here's, here's the deal. Elijah spent a significant period of time walking with Elijah. And we're going to look at how he did that in just a moment. But Elisha lived in between miracles. And we're going to learn a lesson today on how do you live in between miracles. Something that's very important for us to understand in the Christian faith, in the Christian life, I don't care what anybody tells you, what anybody tries to convince you of, miracles are for the average Christian. That was good, yeah, all right. Miracles are for the average Christian. They are a part of our daily lives. It is actually, that's not for some greats that happened a long time ago when you read the Bible and say, well, it's really for them. Actually, miracles are for you and I today. And I believe it with all of my heart. I've seen, I've seen it my own, with my own eyes. And I know many of you have experienced it as well. And so we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to possess all that God has for us. To be a follower of Jesus is not dull, it's not lame, it's not business as usual, it's not on a Friday night, oh great, everyone else has to go, gets to go out and have a good time. Listen, following Jesus is actually recognizing that everything else that everyone else is chasing is a counterfeit, that real joy comes through a relationship with Jesus, rejecting all of what the world has, embracing all that Jesus has, and that's where real life is found. And so the life of following Jesus is one of incredible excitement, it's the greatest adventure you will ever go go on, and uh, we want to look today and find out what does that look like in your life, because we're all different, we're all different stories, God knows what you're going through, and he goes, knows what you're going through, and you're going through, and you're going through all at the same time, and he makes us feel like we are the only person in his world all at the same time, and that's the incredible, loving hand of a father, and so I know there are a lot of questions about miracles, there are a lot, I've had a lot myself. And I don't have all the answers of the wins or the whys, but what I do know is this, that God is still in the business of doing miracles today. That's what I do know. I'm not going to spend my time talking about what I don't know, but I will tell you what I do know, that God is still a God of miracles. He still wants to move in your life in a significant, powerful way, not just, not just something happened or a healing, but miracles in many different levels of where you're at. And, and the reality is actually the Christian life begins with a miracle. I've seen God take an individual's life who was darkened by sin. They were covered in darkness and they, they were living a life hopeless, faithless, with no hope. And they gave their life to Jesus in a moment. And they went from hopeless with no hope to a life full of hope, a life full of trust in Jesus Christ, a life full of blessing and a countenance change that went from darkness to light. Their fear went to peace and their ashes turned to beauty within a moment. And that is a miracle. And all of us here in the room have experienced that. But that's just the beginning. And whatever you're believing for today in your life, whatever it is, maybe you're in between miracles. Maybe you're waiting to experience your first miracle. 
Maybe you need a miracle and you don't even know it, but my desire is by the end of this message, you are going to be, feel equipped, and you're going to be strengthened, and you're going to know how to possess all that God has for you. And I want to look at this incredible story of Elijah and Elisha, and I want to look at three lessons today. You know, Elisha teaches us, teaches us how to live from one miracle to the next. And we're going to look today actually of an historical account when Elijah, who was Elisha's mentor, passes off the prophetic office. He passes off the miracle working office that he was doing at the time to Elisha. And that moment of the passing, that's where the miracle happens. And we're going to read the story and I believe God's really going to speak to us. And so we want to live from God's promises and uh, whatever you're believing for today, whatever you're, you're asking God for today, but I'll, I want us to live in a way that looks forward to the next miracle. And so I believe God wants to speak, to the, speak that to us today. So the number one, or not the number one, but lesson number one and what we can learn from Elisha's life and then we're going to get into the story is this. And you can write this down. If you're going to live in between miracles or how do you possess the next miracle that you're believing for is this. You need to live with Tenacity. Can you say that with me? Live with tenacity. Elisha, before he saw this miracle that we're going to look at in just a moment, he actually spent years as, a, as an apprentice to Elijah. Out in the desert, out of the spotlight, no one knew his name. Actually, the name that he was given was this, the one who pours water over the hands of Elijah. He was, in many cases, a nobody. And he was, he was serving Elijah, not seeing miracles of his own, just experiencing miracles from Elijah. So imagine he walked with Elijah. Elijah, God used uh, miracles through Elijah. Elisha saw those miracles, but Elisha never experienced one himself. He just witnessed them. So have you ever wondered how did Elisha end up as a, an apprentice to the prophet who is doing miracles. How do you get that job? Do you fill out the application on that and say, yes, I'd like to be the, the, the apprentice to the prophet, the greatest prophet in the nation of Israel, the one who does miracles? How do you do that? What's well, interesting how, how this whole calling happens, actually in 1 Kings 19, which we're not going to look at at this moment. Elijah finds Elisha working in a field. He was, he was working. Now, there's a lot of leadership principles, and they're going to kind of be sprinkled through some of this today. But it's very interesting that Elijah found his successor, Elisha, in the field working. Now, many times, and any, anyone who's ever worked a job knows the best place to find a new job is working a job is in the middle of working a job. You can sit back and say, you know, I'm just waiting for that job. Maybe that job will come one day. No thanks, I'm not gonna do that job because I'm waiting for this job. What happens is you'll never find that job. And so Elijah finds Elisha working, doing something, putting his hand to the plow, laboring. He, he was working in a field and he calls to him. And here we find just some quick lessons. There are a lot of things today, but some quick lessons you can learn from Elisha. When he decided to follow Elijah, he signed up as a servant. He didn't sign up as the one that was going to replace him. He had no idea. 
He was working. He was serving. He, was, he, he said, Elijah, I'll follow you and do whatever you need me to do. I'll wash your hands. I'll clean your feet. I'll put a robe all over you if you need to. It wasn't even in his mind that he would be the successor. It wasn't even in his mind that he would be the one to carry the mantle of prophetic mantle and prophet for the nation of Israel. He just signed up to serve. Something very powerful about that. Many times people come to the place of leadership, particularly in church, through the, through, through the journey, or they come to the table of leadership through the journey of serving. A lot of people that want to be at the table, but not a lot of people want to do the serving. And so Elisha, we, saw, we see Elisha, he's serving, and he says, yes, I'll do, I'll do whatever you need to do. And I believe, here's the quick principle to this, is that people come to the opportunity of their miracle through serving. People come to the opportunity of their miracle through serving. Not serving so that they can get what they want. There's an there's a ulterior motive. I'll serve for this capacity so that I can reach that person, so that I can get to that position. They actually, if you're looking for your miracle, as we look in the life of Elisha, he comes and he serves in a capacity of serving, not wanting anything. Just wanting to serve. It's actually the posture of submission that opens the hands of God to give us your miracle, to give us your miracle. And many times your miracle of opportunity or answer to what you're going through is on the other side of you serving. It's on the other side of you submitting to God. It's on the other side of you coming to a posture of submission. And this is what we see in Elisha's life. We see this in this young man's life who just wants to serve the prophet. He just wants to give of his time and his effort and the heart and the willingness to be a servant. And the reason why I'm telling you this is I want to set up kind of so you can get a picture of who Elisha was, his motives, what was really in his heart. And the attitude to the, the attitude, sorry, this was his attitude and the key to miracles was him submitting and serving. You know, in the Christian world, we hear a lot of, like, servanthood. We hear it all the time. We're a servant. I'm a servant. Don't you want to be a servant too? Kind of a thing. You know, like a little dance and a song. But here's the reality. And my wife has, has said this. My wife Cheryl has said this for 17 years of marriage. And she, this is her quote, and it resonates deeply within me. She says this, you know you're a servant when you don't get upset when you're treated like one. You know you're a servant when you don't get upset when you're treated like one. A lot of people say, I'm, I, I'm just a servant, I'm just a servant. When they're treated like a servant, you better watch out, buddy. And this was the posture of Elisha. He was a servant. And when he was treated like one, it didn't bother him at all because that's what he signed up for. He signed up to be a servant. Another side is this, is many people, well, you know, to be a servant, you know, I guess I have to, I, I guess I have to think less of myself. Actually, servanthood is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's all. It's not thinking, oh, poor, I'm, just, I'm just a servant. No, that's not what it is. It's, it's just thinking of yourself less and saying, no, no, I'm here to serve you. It's a total posture change. And this is what we see in Elisha. And so let's look at the story of Elisha now that we kind of understand his heart a little bit more. And let's see what happened with Elijah and Elisha. As they begin the day of Elisha's miracle, if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. You can pull it out. There's a Bible right in front of you. 
Last week we were in um, 2 Kings chapter 22, but this week we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And so if you can, pull out your phones, follow along. We are going to have the scriptures up, up here on the, uh, on the screen as well. But this is a tremendous story. You should go back later today and read it or this week and read it. And just the, the truths that come out in this journey between Elijah and Elisha are very powerful. And I won't cover all of them today. But 2 Kings chapter 2. I want you to see and notice Elisha's tenacity. Remember, this is one of the keys of living between miracles. You have to live with tenacity. And I want you to look at this. Look at this young man's heart. 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 2. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now remember, this was the miracle that was going to happen. The miracle that was going to happen is that that Elisha knew that Elijah was going to be taken to heaven and something amazing was going to happen. Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah t- said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. So Elijah, his, the master, turns to Elisha, the servant, and says, listen, I want you to stay here because I'm going to go on to Bethel. But I want you to look at Elisha's response. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives, as surely as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel together. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. So now, remember, they're in Bethel. Now they're in Bethel, and Elijah says, Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And Elisha, and Elisha replied, what's your problem? What, what do you have? You don't want me to go with you anymore? What's going on? He didn't. This is what he said. He replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. This is very interesting. You see Elijah, his master, saying, Elisha, stay here. I'm going to go on. Elisha knew that something was happening. Elisha was after his miracle. Elisha was was focused on what God had for him. And Elijah Elijah was saying, Elisha, I just want you to stay here. Elisha said, I don't care what you tell me. You can tell me no. You can throw rocks at me. I'll follow you from a distance. But you are not getting out of my sight. And he made a decision. I'm going to follow you. Three times Elijah said, three times Elisha said, no way, Jose. And he stayed with him. He stuck with him. And, you know, the miracle, and Elisha understood, the miracle wasn't going to happen at Bethel. It wasn't going to happen at Jericho. Or if it did, he wasn't going to miss it. He knew that there was an end game. And this miracle that we're going to read about in just a moment happened at the Jordan. And here's one of the principles that you get from this. And I want you guys to hear this. The closer you get to your miracle, no matter what it is in your life, No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're believing for, the closer you get to your miracle, the more opportunity you will have to quit, to give up, to turn away, to not follow the pathway anymore. Because as you get closer, there's something that's, I I don't know what you want to call it, but as you get closer, the resistance gets more and more and more and more. There's more opportunity. Stay at Bethel. Stay at Jericho. Stay at Gilgal. Don't go to the Jordan. And wherever you are today, maybe, maybe you're close to your miracle. Maybe you're this close. But you feel like it is World War III. 
In order to see the miracle in your life, you need to have tenacity, as we see with Elisha. On the entire journey to go all the way to the Jordan. I mean, Elisha could have said, you know what, I made it to Bethel. I made it far enough. Here I am. Man, I've been up to this point. Elisha had walked with Elijah for almost six years. You know, I've walked with you for five years, 11 months, and, you know, whatever, 17 days. I think I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay here at Bethel. He could have said that. He could have said, you know what, I've been faithful all the way. I've, I've given you all I had. Isn't that good enough? I went further than other people have. And you start comparing, he could start comparing himself to the other prophets. He wasn't the only person. I'm sure they ran across other prophets, but he's still the only one by Elijah's side. I went further than the other people. You know what? I deserve a break. I deserve just a, just a little a rest and R&R and just to, to relax. Now, there's nothing wrong with R&R and rest. But I'll tell you this. When you're close to your miracle, R&R and rest are your greatest of enemies. The challenges are just too much. It's just too hard. I deserve it. What happens, though, if your miracle is at the Jordan, and you've settled in Jericho, you were one stop away from reaching what you have been waiting for. And you see this tenacity. And the point in your life where you are stretched, my friends, the point in your light, life where you are challenged, is the point in your life where you will begin to smell your miracle. And when you come to this place, let me tell you this. You come to the end of yourself. You know why God brings you to the end of yourself? So that you can come to the end of yourself. So that you can experience the fullness of him. And your miracle is waiting. Your miracle is for you. The moment of decision to keep going. To push through. I don't care what anybody else says. Listen, you might have people around you. You know what? It's been so hard for you. It's been really tough. And I'm not saying it hasn't been. I know it has. I walked a journey where it was tough. It was hard. It was emotional. It was painful. And you got to keep walking. You got to keep pressing. And people say, listen, you deserve it. Just, you know, God, God understands. But if you know in your heart you're supposed to, that your miracle is waiting in Jordan, do not stop in Jericho. Don't do it. You've got to have this sense of Elisha that I'm going to be tenacious. I'm going to, I'm going to grip my teeth when everyone else is saying, what are you doing? You're foolish. Elijah doesn't appreciate you anyway. You've been serving him for six years. What has that done for you? He rejected all those voices and he stayed the course with Elisha. Many times the things that you feel scared about, whether it's uh, maybe it's believing for a, a, a position change at your job. Maybe it's, it's dealing with a marriage that's crumbling and, and you're almost scared to even confront it because you just swept everything else under the, under the carpet the whole, your whole life. Whatever it is, whatever it is you're, you're afraid of doing, maybe God's calling you to something that's freaking you out. I'll tell you this, the thing that you are scared to do is probably the very thing that you are called to do. There's this tenacity that God wants from us, my friends. So is God calling you to something new? 
Is God calling you to go to a place you've never been before? Is God calling you to step into a role of serving you've never stepped into before? Is God calling you to to maybe start a business you've never started before and it kind of really freaks you out? Is God calling you to take a step of faith and and leave one job and try and go to to another one? Is God calling you to something that scares you? If you're scared, I'm not saying thus says the Lord. This is Jason speaking. It's God. Because God wants to bring us to this place. First and foremost, God wants to do something with your life that you never thought he could do. God delights in blowing your mind away. He's a mind blower. That's our God. And he delights in that and he loves that. Why? Because he knows once you get there and you come to the end of yourself, you actually step in to something that you've been waiting for. Maybe you're, maybe you're believing and holding on to a healing that you've been praying for, you've been asking God for in your life or someone else. Maybe step into a situation that you're, you're, you don't know if you should or not, but you feel like you're scared to step into a situation or an opportunity that will only take a miracle to turn it around. One thing's for sure, no matter what it is, no matter what you're facing, this is what it's going to take, tenacity. It's going to take it. And maybe you're believing for a miracle in your marriage. Maybe you're here today and your spouse isn't here or you're here sitting. To, you might be sitting together, but, man, in, in, the emotion, in, in the emotional realm, you could drive a Mack truck between you two. You haven't talked, communicated, but you're here today. But you're here because you think, I, we need a miracle in our marriage. It's not going to happen in an instant. If your marriage is going to change, it's going to require tenacity. It's going to require faith when you don't feel like having faith anymore. It's going to require choosing love when you don't feel like loving. It's going to require you choosing counseling when you're sick of talking about the problems that you've been talking about. But you need to go anyway. Maybe it's choosing trust when you don't feel like trusting anymore. Trust has been, it's gone, it's violated, forget it, I'm not going to do it anymore. But God's saying, are you scared to trust? And you say, yes, I will help you start to trust again. It's going to take tenacity. And I believe it's through tenacity that God can save your marriage. God can reconcile a situation. God can do something in your life that blows your mind, that that goes beyond your expectations. I've seen God do this in marriage many times. I remember talking to a friend of mine, and, and, and we were just walking through life together. Something had happened in his marriage, and he was at a decision point. It was either divorce or reconcile. He could have chose each, either one. And I remember we were talking, and this, he was a, he's a fighter is what he is. He's a warrior on the inside. And I remember he had lost a glimmer of hope in his eyes. And I remember I said, man, listen, you fight for everything else in your life. Start fighting for your wife. Start fighting for your woman. Start fighting for your family. And I just began to speak to him. And all of a sudden, he made a decision, not because of what I said, because he was open to hearing the voice of the Lord. And he said, you're right, Jason, I'm going to fight. I'm going to press in. I'm going to love. So he started from that day, every day, loving her, serving her, giving to her, going out of his way, dying to himself day after day. 
day after day after day. You fast forward six years later, they are reconciled, they are loving, they have a beautiful family, they're active in church, and it's wonderful. Why? Because he had tenacity. And at the end of whatever it is, whatever miracle God does for you, at the end of that is a deep realization that only God could have done this. But he did it in the context of tenacity. You know, I want to be a person of tenacity. I want to be a person that whatever God gives me a glimmer of, I'm going to pursue it with all of my heart. I'm going to give everything to it. I'm going to hold on to it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with stubbornness. As long as you're stubborn towards the right things. There's nothing wrong with stubbornness as long as you're right. The problem comes in when you're stubborn and you're wrong. (laughs) Tenacity is a stubbornness towards what you know to be right. Fuse to give up. No matter what it is. I want to be a person of tenacity. I see a bunch of people in here. I believe you're just a bunch of stubborn people. God's put something in your heart. I believe God wants us to be tenacious about it, ups or downs and whatever it is. If it's God, if it's in his will, if it's in his plan, then let's be tenacious about it. Second lesson we learn from Elisha on how to live in between miracles is this. We need to live with sensitivity. We need to live with sensitivity. In other words, this, we need to be aware that God is doing things that we don't totally see. That God is at work in areas that we don't know he is at work in. That we are to be more aware of what's going on around us. And so I want us to read how Elisha was sensitive to what was happening. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and they asked him, So listen, so let me just set the stage. They've left Gilgal, they've left Bethel, they've left Jericho. They're on their way to the Jordan. They're journeying together. And these prophets come up to them, come up to Elisha and says, Hey, Elisha, did you know that the Lord's going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha said. I love how this is. Of course I know. Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Be quiet. What's interesting, Elisha knew that God was up to something. Elisha was sensitive that God was up to something. He was actually sensitive to know that he was hot on the heels of his miracle. He was, he was getting close to the Jordan. He, was, he, was, he could start to smell it. He knew it was coming. And Elisha teaches us on what to be sensitive of. Two things that we're to be sensitive of. The first thing is this. We are to be sensitive to what God is doing. It's a very simple point, but it's actually, once you understand it, it's profound. The key to experiencing more miracles in your life is not you convincing God what you want to be done. But it is you being more sensitive to what God wants to be done. The key to miracles in your life is not convincing God, God, I want you to do this. It is being sensitive to what God wants to be done in your life. That's the first key. 
It's not that we, we sit around and, and we pray, God, come and do a miracle where I'm at. Come and do a miracle where I want you. But the prayer is, God, help me to be sensitive to what you're doing so that I can join with you and experience the real miracle. Listen, God's going to accomplish what he accomplishes. He's going to accomplish it in his timing. Why? Because he's sovereign and he's God. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing in my life and through my life and your life and through your life. I want to be a part of it. But actually, our miracle is on the other side of us seeking God and becoming sensitive to his plan, his will, his future, his truth. Listen, you can beg, scream, squawk, cry, anoint yourself with olive oil, put it on a slip and slide and slide back and forth all day long. If you're fasting and believing for God and it is not God's will, it won't happen. It won't happen. You can order holy water and sprinkles. It, it doesn't matter. We have to know what God's will is. And once we know what God's will is, we come into alignment with that, and then we begin to pray, and then we begin to ask, and then we begin to fast, and then we begin to, because we know this is God's will, and I'm going to believe for it in my life. We become sensitive. That's the key, becoming sensitive to what God is doing, and then choosing, I'm going to do what God wants. And we become sensitive through three things, God's word, through God's voice, and God's people. When we read the word of God, so, okay, Jesus, how do I become sensitive? This is how I do it. And let me tell you, I get off sometimes, and I begin, I I think I know what what God's doing, and then I I get back, and I spend time in his word, spend time praying with him, spend time with you guys, and all of a sudden I'm like, oop, that actually wasn't what God was saying. This is what God was saying. And through his word, as we read it, we begin to see what God is like. We begin to see um, what God wants to accomplish on the earth. We begin to see his ways and his truth and his life. And all of a sudden, we become sensitive to who he is because we actually find out who he is. And then we, we, we become sensitive through his voice, through praying, seeking God, asking him, letting that still small voice in us lead us and guide us and direct us. And we become sensitive to his plan. And then we come into alignment with what he wants in our lives and the miracles that God has And then we become sensitive through the church, through you and me, through gathering. I'm telling you, when I'm at church with you guys, I I get ministered to God in such a tremendous way. He speaks to me in ways that he doesn't speak to me anywhere else except when I'm with you. You guys are special, man. And together, God is, is, he is speaking to his people when we gather. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the church. Don't forget, don't, don't forsake the gathering of believers. Because when you come together, you begin to become sensitive to what God is saying and what God is doing. And then you can align your life and accomplish what God has for you. I believe one of the main reasons that a lot of people don't fulfill their purpose in their life is because they're not connected to a local church. I believe it with all of my heart. When I, I can't wait to come to church because I'm like, man, God has something for me. And all of a sudden we become sensitive to his plan. Listen, when you read the word and you realize this, you know what? Healing is for today. 
Why? Because the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. So I begin to pray. I begin to seek God. I begin to fast. I begin to align my life with him. The outcome of it, listen, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know, the word of God says it is available. And whatever that is, does God want your marriage to be restored? Absolutely he wants your marriage to be restored. So you can fast and pray and seek God and ask brothers around you and sisters, let's pray for me. My marriage is a wreck. Listen, I, the problem is when we don't read the word, when we don't seek his voice, when we don't gather in the church, we come up with our own conclusions of what we think God's will is. I'll never forget I was at... Um, uh, of promise keepers of all places. I was backstage getting ready to go out and do, do some worship. And one of the volunteers was there and I was talking to him. And I said, man, how you doing? He said, man, God's, doing, God's amazing in my life. And God just gave me a real breakthrough. I said, well, hey, tell me what's going on. He said, you know, God answered a prayer for me the other day. I said, what is it? He said, well, God gave me the peace that I can leave my wife. I said, buddy, I think you heard the wrong voice. You better get your ears checked. And I said, man, I said, that, I, I don't believe that. I said, because the word of God is very clear. Divorce is never in the will of God. It never is. Yeah, but brother, I have peace. I said, I don't care what you have. That's not God's will for your life. He wasn't reading the word. He wasn't seeking the voice of God. He, all of a sudden, he made his desires into what he thinks God wants for his life. And that's not true. And we have to align ourselves with him and align ourselves in him. Now, yes, can, God brings forgiveness and restoration and healing to our, to our mistakes and to our sins. And that's why we're not perfect. But the reality is God will never speak to you and tell you something that is contrary to his word. I don't care how you think it makes you feel. But that's how we become sensitive. And Elisha was sensitive to what God was doing. And this is why he was so tenacious about not leaving Elijah's side. I'm not going to leave you, buddy. Now, I don't know. I haven't said this in any of the other services. But I'll tell you because I'll just tell you. I often wondered. He never, he never left his side. I often wondered, did Elijah ever have to go to the bathroom? Maybe I'm the only one that thinks weird things like that. But, man, this guy was set on, he's going to go with Elijah no matter what. <laughs> I, I hope I just didn't derail us somewhere. Anyway, let's come back. Come back, everybody. Come back. <laughs> the second thing we need to become sensitive of is this. We need to become sensitive to people's needs. The first, we have to become sensitive to what God is doing. The second one is we have to become sensitive to, God's, to, to others' needs. And this is what we see in Elisha's life. Everyone knew Elijah was going away that day. Everyone knew. I don't know how they knew, but they did. And as I read this this week, I thought this. You know, I bet some of them were, had some mixed emotions. This was Elijah. He was the father of the prophets. He was the one that they had, they had looked to, they had looked up to. They, the school of the prophets was, was started because of this great man called Elijah. They talked about him. They, they studied him. They looked to him. He was the founder of everything. And they knew he was going that day. Emotions had to be running high. This is their dear friend. Elisha's emotions had to be running high as well. He was close to Elijah like no one else had ever been. 
This was a spiritual father. But what we see about Elisha is he's sensitive to Elijah. What does he tell them? He said, hey, do you know your master's going away today? And Elisha said, listen, be quiet. Stop talking about it. I mean, how would you like that for everyone know, to know this is your last day? And so, it, you know, you walk in and every place you go, they like hand you a cake. Welcome to your last day on earth. And you got to blow out the one candle because you have one day left. <laughs> you know, it's like. I mean, Elijah had to be thinking. I mean, okay, listen, don't talk about it. How many times does Elijah need to understand this is his last day on earth? Okay, all right, we get it. And you see this, this connection of Elisha and Elijah. It's very interesting. It's almost as though Elisha was protecting Elijah. Listen, Elijah knows, I know, you know. We don't need to talk about it. Be sensitive to people's needs. Many times, the miracle you're looking for may actually be for someone else. God is not only looking to do miracles to you, because we all, we all believe, you know, we all, God, I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle. God, I need you to do this. There's nothing wrong with that. But have you ever taken the next step and said, God, do a miracle through me? God, let me be the miracle for someone else. I, I know many of you in here, and I know many of you have been the miracle for someone else. God has used you to minister to someone, to speak to someone, to generously give to someone. You have become that miracle. But here's the question. When's the last time you said, instead of God do a miracle to me, but God do a miracle through me? We're around people all the time. We're around each other all the time. When's the last time you walked, you came to church with your eyes open looking, who needs a miracle today? God, use me today. Even during worship and God lays something on your heart or to pray for someone or whatever it may be. And you think, you know what, I want to be someone's miracle today. I, w- I want to do what I need. I want to do what I need to do and to be someone else's miracle today. You might be the answer to someone's miracle prayer. You may be their miracle. But here's the other side. You might be a miracle, but, but here's, the, here's something for us to really understand. You don't need to have a word from the Lord to share your faith with someone. You don't need to have a word from the Lord to pray for someone. It's kind of like this. Listen, if someone like tripped and fell down in front of you, you oh, Lord, should I help them get up? No, just go help them get up. Why? Because the word of God says we are to share our faith. The word of God says we are to pray and exhort one another. The word of God says we're to be generous to one another. If there's needs within, the, within your household or within your, your church of body of believers, you're to help meet those needs. That's what the word of God says. We don't need a word from the Lord to, to help us or to tell us that. We already know that. But we come into alignment with who God is, and then we just act on it. We just serve on that. And we allow God to use us. Many times we just need to open our eyes, open our ears, and then act on what we see. One of the keys to seeing God's miracles is being sensitive to what God is doing in the world, but also to be tenacious through the entire journey of what God wants to do in your life. And lastly and thirdly is this, that we are to live with purity. How to live in between miracles? We are to live with purity. You see, Elisha, had a pure heart. And you see this purity in what the request that he asked, what he, what he is desiring. And we see that in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. 
Starting in verse 7. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite right here. Get ready. It's a lot of fun. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance. Okay? So they made it. Remember, they're, they're now at Jordan. They went Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. Something's going to happen. The, the, the prophets are standing back. They're, they're all watching from a distance. Okay? Fifty of them are standing back. They're watching. They're looking. Facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak. Now, I love how the scripture just speaks this so matter of fact. He rolled it up, struck the water, and the water was divided. And then they just end anyway, and they just go on. It's just amazing to me. The water divided to the right and to the left. The two of them crossed over on dry ground. So, okay, here you go. Took his mantle. He rolled it up. He hit the water. Boom. The water split. They walked across. It's very important. I want you to remember that. They walked across on dry ground. When they had crossed, I want you to hear this. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? What a request. What a question, really. And I want you to listen to Elisha's response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing. Notice here, Elijah did not say, you have asked an arrogant thing. Notice here, Elijah says, well, who do you think you are? He doesn't say that. He said, you've asked a difficult thing. And Elijah said this, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, you got it. It's yours. If not, it's not yours. And in this request, you see the purity. You see the purity of Elisha's request because he was asking for God to use him for the glory of God in an incredible way. If your motive is for you to bring glory to God, you can ask him for whatever you want. Whatever is on your heart. If it's all for his glory, you can ask him for a, a double portion. You can ask him for, for things that you think, you know what, I don't know if I, de if I deserve that. Here's, your, here's the question. Is it for the glory of God or is it for the glory of you? If it's for the glory of God, then you ask away. And you see this, this purity of Elisha that he can ask for the ridiculous. And Elijah, the one, the prophet who, who had... Who, Incredible prophetic gifting. He sees Elisha's heart and he said, you've asked a difficult thing. But if you see me go up, it's yours. Listen, I believe there have been times in my life that, that I've expressed my vision. I've said, man, I really believe God. I, I'm asking God people's responses. Well, who do you think you are, Jason? I think I'm nobody. But I know a God who's looking for someone to say, use me. And I tell you what, if no one else says it, I will say it. Use me, God. Show off through my life. I will give you the glory. I will give you the honor. I don't care, God. I've, I've asked God this, and I'll just be very personal with you today. I've asked God my whole life since I went to Bible college, Lord, use my life to transform the world. Use my life to transform the world. 
So everything I do is birthed out of this desire that I want to see God's kingdom spread across the world. I don't want to be a part of the Great Commission. I want to be a part of the great completion of God's gospel going to the ends of the earth and him returning. I want to be a part of that. And if God could use me somehow to preach his word in the nations of the world and preach his word to us and to, and to equip all of us to be all that God's called us to be so that the world can be impacted with his gospel and his truth and his power, then bring it on. Because I know it's all about him anyway. I know me. And I know I don't, I don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. But God's just looking for a willing vessel to say, God, I want to put you first in my life. And I want you to use me. He's looking for a servant like Elisha that comes to the table of influence through the pathway of serving. That you don't use serving to get to the table of influence. It's a totally different thing. And God's looking for us. He's looking for you. He sees your miracle. And he wants you to possess it. This is the purity of Elisha's life. He was asking for God to use him for God's glory. Elisha, think about this. He asked for a double portion, right? Elisha sees the struggles of Elijah. He's seen them. He knows them. I mean, Elijah was the man who he was running for his life. He had seen the days when Elijah was depressed. When Elijah was, was he was out of his... I, of his mind, he couldn't even get up off the floor. He was depressed. He was on the hit list of kings. If you find Elijah, kill him. Elijah had ran for his life, ups and downs, and he didn't have a glamorous life. Let me tell you something. He did not have a private jet and fly around wherever he wanted. He had suffered, and Elisha asked for a double portion of that? He knew it. He wanted everything that God had for him. And he knew that it would cost him, but he asked anyway. And we don't know why God chose Elisha as Elijah's successor. You would think that there was someone closer to where Elijah lived. Elijah lived in the northern area of Israel. But he traveled 160 miles, actually over into modern-day Syria, where he found his successor. There could have been someone there. I mean, God, you know, God don't really have to walk 160 miles. It wasn't like he could drive 160 miles. He had to walk 160 miles or ride a donkey. I don't know. It might be better to walk than ride a donkey. I have no idea. 160 miles. And I don't know what qualities Elisha had and why God chose him. But I think it was this. I think that God knew Elisha would want to get all he could from Elijah before Elijah was gone. I think he knew Elisha has got a heart, and I've been speaking to him out in the field. I've been putting something inside of him that when Elijah comes along, he's not going to let him get very far until he gets everything out of that man that I want him to have. And Elisha probably didn't feel particularly gifted. He probably felt very ungifted. He was a farmer. His daddy was a farmer. I would say probably on down the line, his daddy's daddy was a farmer. He grew up on a farm. He's used to plowing and an ox. That's what he did. He plowed. He sowed. He harvested. He cleaned out stalls. That's what he did. He was a farmer. But he knew one thing about Elijah. Elisha knew something about Elijah that Elijah had something that he wanted. We would call it today an anointing. 
we call it today, the Spirit of God. And that, that was his miracle that he was pressing forward. So this was at the forefront of Elisha's heart. Never left his side. Never took no for an answer. This is how actually you and I must seek God for his purposes and his will in our lives. The same way that Elisha sought his miracle. God wasn't looking for a high IQ, my friends. He wasn't looking for all the right letters at the end of your name. Matter of fact, he doesn't even care. Now, can God use education? Absolutely. Does God lead us there? Yes, absolutely. Am I an advocate for education? And there are brilliant, bright people that I want to surround myself with because I sure need them a lot. But that's not a prerequisite. God's looking for a willing heart. God chose a man who had the capacity to want more of God than he wanted anything else in this world. And that was called purity. And we saw it in Elisha's request. Give me a double portion. Give me twice of what you have. Tenacity, sensitivity, purity. They're the keys to obtaining God's miracle for your life. No matter what it is. No matter where you're at today. And at the right time for Elisha, at the right moment, after six years, just not six years of serving Elijah, go back six years when he was plowing the field and he was just doing the mundane things and he was shoveling ox manure, when he was cleaning out barns and, clean, and, and scrubbing down oxen and out in the fields, muddy, dirty, his hands are dirty, he's sweating, calluses on his hands, he's walking out in the field, plowing with an oxen in front of him, and God begins to speak in his heart, Lord, I believe there's something more for me. God, I believe that, that, that something is leaping in my heart. Lord, I'm waiting for you one day to do something amazing in my life. God, I know this is what I'm called to do, and Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, because I'm just a farmer out on the farm. But then one day, Elijah comes along, and he tosses his mantle on him. The mantle hits him, and Elijah keeps walking. Elisha responds at that moment. He breaks his plow. He burns his plow. He takes his oxen. He sacrifices his oxen. And he draws a line and cuts the past and he begins to move forward to the future. But that just didn't happen in a moment. It had happened in the field years and years before as he was working the field. And then all of a sudden, after that journey and six years of serving Elijah, we come to the Jordan River and there he is. He's watching Elijah. He's like, you're not getting out of my sight. I don't care where you go. I wonder if Elijah was ever like, will you get away from me? Like, knock it off. Elisha's like, Nope. And then all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, chariots of fire show up. Boom. Elijah is gone. Whoosh. And Elisha looks over and he sees the mantle. This is the moment he'd been waiting on. This is what he'd been believing for. This is the years of tenacity, of determination. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stay at Bethel. I'm not going to stay at Jericho. I'm not going to stay. I'm going to stay with you no matter what. And he walks over. And I can imagine the surreal moment he picks up the mantle. He had never held it before. He picks it up. 
And he remembers the story. He remembers the journey. He remembers the time. He remembers the pain. He remembers all of that. And he walks over to the Jordan. And he rolls it up just like he saw Elijah do. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? And he hits the Jordan and it splits open and he gets his miracle. Right then at that moment. And he received it. And it was his. But he was a man tenaciousness. And he went on to do twice as many miracles. Accomplish twice as many things for the kingdom of God. And maybe you've given up on your miracle. Maybe your Jordan seems like a thousand miles away. And it might be. But I'm telling you, if you'll hold strong to what Elisha held strong to. If you will be tenacious, if you will not give up. If you have a dream on your heart to be a missionary, I'm telling you, hang in there. Do not give up. God put that in your heart many years ago. He's not going to take it away. God is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. Who is? He is because he began it. He will finish it. He's just saying, hang on. Be tenacious. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Maybe it's a marriage today. Maybe it's a healing today. No matter what it is, do not give up. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.